What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Shanti Das. Welcome to season one of the Mebo Show. Wow, this season has been going so great. I've been talking to so many hip-hop legends like DMC from Run DMC and Yo-Yo and MC Light and Figure and my man Dougie Fresh and, and my boy Eric Sermon of the legendary group EPMD. And, and we just, we're going on and on and on trying to talk about hip-hop and health and how we encourage our community to stay healthy and and today is going to be really great and as i mentioned you know august 11th marked the 50th anniversary of hip-hop and i am definitely a child of the culture it's been exciting a lot of shows and important things going on and again here at the mebo show we are at the intersection of health and hip-hop and how music and culture and our influencers and hip-hop artists can have a positive impact on health and wellness in our community and how we can ensure that hip hop is around for, yes, another 50 years, right? So it's all about taking care of ourselves. So on today's episode, we want to shine a light on mental wellness and anxiety and how we make wellness a part of our everyday regimen. Our guest today has done just that, and he knows I'm a big fan, and he talks openly and regularly about his mental wellness journey and how he inadvertently really became an advocate and a hero to many. So let's give a big Mebo Show welcome to radio host, TV personality, and best-selling author, and my friend, Charlemagne the God. What's up, Char? Hey, Shanti. How are you? Good to see you. I am great. I am blessed and highly favored and excited to continue to be doing this work, especially around mental health and wellness. And also joining us today is our subject matter expert. And big shout out to our partners uh, at J&J. But today we have uh, Dr. Spirit, who is an independent licensed therapist and psychotherapist rather. She also is a media personality. So you've probably seen her on TV or seen her online. And she has her own Instagram show every Friday, just doing so many things to heal our hearts and minds. Let's give a warm Weibo show, Weibo show welcome to Dr. Spirit, which we fondly call. Hey. <laughs> Happy to be here. Good. Hey, guys. I think it's going to be a great conversation. And I know both of you have done so much already in this space. And so we're going to jump right into it. And let's get into this mind-body wellness. Because, again, I call the show the Mebo show because it is about you know, your mind and your body. Um, and, and it's just so important that we really take the time to pour into this. So I, I want to start with you first, Charlemagne. I read on verywellmind.com that in your book, Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, you talked about how you didn't discover you had anxiety till you were in your 30s. You suffer from panic attacks. And each time you had one, you went to the emergency room thinking you were having a heart attack, only to be told that your heart was perfectly healthy, which is a good thing. But eventually the doctor diagnosed you. And, but even when you first got diagnosed with anxiety, you said you didn't really know what to do with it as no treatments were recommended. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, 2010, um, I had just been fired from radio for the fourth time. I was back at home living with my mom, my oldest daughter. She's 15 now, so she probably was like one or two at the time. Uh, my, my, my now wife, she had to move back home with her parents. And so when I was having that, you know, th those anxiety attacks again, at that point in my life, I didn't realize, you know, what they were. I just literally thought I was having a heart attack. <clears throat> so when I went to the doctor, that doctor was the first person who didn't just tell me, you know, you have a healthy heart, your heart is fine. He was the first person to say to me, do you suffer from anxiety? Because, you know, what you describing to me sounds like a panic attack, an anxiety attack. And he asked me had I had it before. And I'm like, yeah, my, my whole life. 
And then he asked me, was I stressed out about anything? And I'm like, hell yeah. Like, you know, back at home living with my mom at 32 years old. Like, you know, and I got a daughter and, you know, my, my girlfriend's back home living with her parents. So I'm thinking I got all of these things going on. So in my mind, all I got to do is, you know, get, another, get back in position, get another job, another radio gig, and everything will be fine. And the next radio gig I got was The Breakfast Club. But, you know, four or five years after that, um, 2014, 2015, you know, I'm having more success than I've ever had in my life, making more money than I've ever made in my life. But nothing has changed. You know, I'm, I'm still dealing with anxiety. It felt like the bouts of depression got worse because, you know, for me, I think in this business, sometimes you can become a caricature yourself. And sometimes when you're in survival mode and you don't want to, I don't want to go back to that 2010 ever having to live with my mom. You know, you're willing to do damn near anything in, in, in the name of entertainment, you know, to, to, to stay in position. And I think that's what happened to me. And it, I just simply wasn't happy. So, you know, you, I, you can do all of that and you can make the money and you can have the success, but you still got to go home at night. You know, you still got to go home at night. You got to be able to sleep. You got to be able to look in the mirror and be proud of yourself. And, you know, that's just not something I, I was at the time. So I think all of that made my anxiety and depression even worse. So, you know, I just decided around 2016, you know, to go get some help because, you know, I just did not like what I was becoming and I didn't like the way I was I was living. And that's when I started going to therapy. Thank you for that. And let me just say, you know, you, again, you talk openly so much, but your vulnerability and transparency is to be celebrated, especially as a black man, a black man in hip hop, someone in our culture, haven't seen, you know, your rise in the industry. Um, and it's nice to just like, you know, I've had the pleasure of getting to know you, I would say the last two years since, or two to three years since I've been doing the work in the mental health space. And just your demeanor and the peace that's over your life now. And I see the boundaries that you put into place and you're doing the work, you know, you're going to therapy, you're still focusing on yourself. And you said, you know, it hasn't gone away. You know, you still deal with some of the issues, um, but you are doing work. Dr. Spirit, come on in, Spirit. Let's talk a little bit about Charlemagne and doing work and how hard it can be for someone, especially in the public eye, you know, that has anxiety and trying to get diagnosed properly, but still trying to be that face, you know, in the limelight and as a celebrity, mm -hmm. if you will. Talk to us about how hard that can be and, you know, how, how we even diagnose anxiety. Well, it's extremely difficult, especially when you are somebody of the stature like a Charlemagne the God, right? Because there is pressure and most people don't recognize anxiety to be a clinical illness that needs treatment. Anxiety is something that everybody experiences. It's about worry about the future, worry about what's down the road, what is to come. And usually it's the things that we don't want to have happen. But what most people don't recognize is that if you are worried all of the time, that is not just something that's happening in your mind, it's happening in your body, hence all the panic and the anxiety attacks. And so it requires care. Your body cannot operate in that heightened state of worry and fear all the time without dumping copious amounts of hormones into your bloodstream that over time will make you sick. And so what people have to recognize is if you are having a hard time, if your mind is racing constantly, if you feel that weight on your chest, like it's a bunch of books or elephants that are just choking the air out of you, if your stomach is messed up, if you can't sleep, these are physical symptoms that require professional care. 
And so I am constantly encouraging people. You don't have to try to diagnose yourself. You just have to know I don't feel good in my body and this is not natural or normal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I find myself, it's interesting um, since I lost my mom and my sister, I have these thoughts and I'm always anxious about my other family members and even myself. Like, I don't know why I've been anxious lately about car accidents. And it's like, Mm. I can't even like control my thoughts sometimes when I'm driving, you know, being afraid. And that's something that I know I need to address with my therapist, but I feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's coming up more often. And so I know that I'm at a point where I do need to do something about it, you know, and talk to someone, but, but grief can be really difficult too and bring on a lot of anxiety. Right. Absolutely, because when we're grieving, the other part of that is now we're aware of what's possible in our lives. And so you heard me talk about that idea of what you don't want to happen. So losing people that close to you, a mother, a sister, that then makes you worry about the rest of your loved ones, their wellness, your own wellness. And those thoughts can become overwhelming, especially when they take over and not only the grief is there, but the pain of I don't want to lose anybody else. So having that conversation with your therapist, having the the opportunity to relieve yourself of the pain and the anxiety that comes along with that, it it affects everything, Shanti. It affects everything. Yeah, Shanti, the way you feel about car accidents is how I feel about heart attacks. And I've been, yeah, I've been like that my whole life. I literally just met a doctor named Dr. Puma. I did a CT scan with him a couple of weeks ago. He's the first doctor that ever made me just feel at ease with my physical well-being in regards to uh, anything mm. cardiovascular. And, and, it, and it's based off grief, right? Because I had a homegirl who I came up with. Uh, her name uh, her name was Michelle, Michelle Austin. Mm-hmm. She passed away a couple of years ago um, from, from a heart attack. She was only 49 years old. And then I had another friend, you know, my guy, Hovain. Um, he passed away last year, you know? And it, so it was just like, in my mind, I, I, all of that was on my mind heavy to the point where I went and did every single cardiovascular test you could think of over the past six months. I wore a heart monitor. I did the EKGs. I did the CT scans. I did everything. But this guy, Dr. Puma, who I met a couple of weeks ago, he did a CT scan on me. And he just he put my mind at ease as far as any cardiovas- cardiovascular events that could happen over the next 10 years. But I, I, I felt the way you felt about car accidents. Uh, to, to about heart attacks. Yeah, and I, I did the same thing too. I gotta admit, I just had a, a my cardio test run, and I'm still a little stressed out about it. But it, it's all connected. That's again why I think this show, the Mebo show, is important because we're talking about mental and physical health, and and the points of connectivity that are there. Like thinking that we're gonna have this physical illness, you know, that is a direct result from a mental health challenge that we've experienced mm-hmm. or a grief disorder. It, it's all connected. Um, It is. And it's crazy that you guys are talking about the heart, because when you're dealing with anxiety or even grief, you know, there is such a thing as called broken heart syndrome. Like when you are experiencing grief, it literally does affect your cardiovascular system. And so we do see more cardiovascular related uh, diagnoses, heart disease, heart attacks, even strokes. So you guys are really talking about that mental and physical connection that is so important, so important. Yes, well, the Mebo way, and, and, and sometimes, you know, us as Black folks, you know, we allow stigma to get in the way of getting help, whether it's going to see, you know, a therapist or going to see your PCP. So, you know, we cannot wait to to pursue going to see the doctor and figuring out what's wrong, especially in communities of color and 
and, and the LGBTQIA plus community, you know, we don't often realize, you know, that we're not the only ones suffering. Everybody is suffering. We recently had Vanessa Broadhurst, who is the EVP of Global Corporate Affairs at Johnson & Johnson, which is our partner at the Mebo Show. And she shared some really amazing things that they've been doing. Um, they have programs like Depression Looks Like Me, where they provide educational resources that includes, you know, stories, treatment options, and other resources and tools to help all communities understand what what depression looks like, right? And how it affects all of us. And then they're also doing some great work with the Divine Nine, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity, and Delta Sigma Theta to provide community-based healthcare programming focused on health information and screenings related to mental health. So just shout out to J&J &J and all that they're doing to provide resources for our community. I wanna go back to you, Charlemagne. There was a quote where you said, you can't heal what you don't reveal. Were you skeptical at first about seeing a therapist or were you afraid to talk about it to like your friends and family or your wife, your colleagues, and, and even on the air? Cause like you talk about it now, but like, what was that like at first for you? Oh, I don't think so. Cause I've always been a transparent person. I, I think, uh, you know, what therapy has done for me has made me more, more vulnerable. Cause I, I, I've always had no problem explaining or talking about what I'm going through. I think what, 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 what I've, dug deeper on is how it made me feel, you know, or, or how when certain emotions would show up, how I could connect that now, you know, cause I've, I've done some work. I can connect that now with things that impacted me in my childhood, you know, cause a lot of the things that happened to us as adults is just things that happened to us as, as kids. So for, for me, it was, um, it was really just a cry for help. Cause I just would, I felt disingenuous. I felt disingenuous getting on air talking about, anything else when I'm dealing with my own stuff. And I, it's, I, I can't, I'm not, I'm literally not physically capable of sitting down and talking about other things when I got so much weighing heavy on my mind and my heart. So for me, when I started to tell those stories on the radio and have those conversations, man, the village quickly showed up mm -hmm. because there was so many people who were dealing with the same, you know, levels of anxiety that I was dealing with, who was dealing with the same, you know, bouts of depression that I was dealing with. And I, I hadn't, I truly honestly had no idea so many people were going through these things. And it wasn't even just people that listened to me on the radio. It was like family members. Like my, when I, when I put out my second book, Shook One Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, which also came out of a, uh, out of a, I, I couldn't talk about anything else. Like, you know, when you have a successful first book, which I did with Black Privilege, they come to you immediately wanting to do the second book. I'm like, I don't have anything. Like, I'm like, I, I just gave y'all, my life up to that point in the first book. And I was telling my book agent, cause we're really close like that. You know, my, 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 my partner, Jan Miller. And I was just telling her like, yo, I just started going to therapy, man. And I'm just really, you know, keeping these notes of, you know, things that I've been revealing in therapy and, you know, how it's making me feel. And I actually let her read some of it. And she was like, you know, this would be really powerful. She didn't, she didn't push me or anything. She was just like, this would be really powerful if you ever decided to share it. And so I did. And, you know, she had the idea to get with uh, Dr. Ish Major and, you know, he gave like the clinical correlations because I'm just the person who's talking about my experiences. He gave the clinical correlations to what I was I was going through. And when I put that book out and I've been telling my story, 2018, my dad came to me and my dad was it was around Thanksgiving. I'll never forget it. It was Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. I was home in Mount Corner, South Carolina. And my dad said to me, he goes, yeah, man, you know, your, your little cousin just committed suicide because I had a younger cousin who had tried to complete suicide four times. And I got, I got that term from you, Shanti, complete suicide. Thanks. He attempted to complete suicide four times 
And on the fourth time, he completed it. And it was during that same week. And he said to me, man, you know, I was reading your book and, you know, this happened to your cousin. And he was like, man, you know, 30 years ago, I tried to kill myself, you know? And then he was like, I've been on two to three. I was going to therapy two and three times a week. He said, I've been on 10 to 12 different medications throughout my life for depression and anxiety. And he was like, you know, they couldn't do anything for me except for give me a check. And the state of South Carolina started giving my dad what we would call a crazy check. And I remember saying to my mom, did you know dad was going through all of this? And she said, I thought he was just playing crazy to get a check. And, that, and when you when I go back and think about it, I knew so many people growing up in my hometown who were getting those so-called crazy checks. So it's just like even the state of South Carolina at the time, they've made a lot of strides now. But at the time, they didn't even know how to treat people who were dealing with the anxiety and depression and who knows what else. They were just literally giving people checks every month, you know. That's so interesting. One, thank thank you for sharing all of that. Wow, spirit. I mean, what would you say to that? And 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 obviously, with Charlemagne opening up and, and allowing not only his you know listeners and and peers in the industry, but family to start opening up. You know, anxiety and depression, um, you know, can have such a stronghold over our community. Why is it so important? Again, that people like Charlemagne, you know, and hip hop artists like a Kid Cudi or Kendrick Lamar and all those folks, you know, and influencers start speaking up and talking about it. Because it normalizes it. And it is normalized by people that other people look up to. So when people say, wow, if they can do it, then I can do it too. Wow, if even with all of their celebrity, all of their money, all of the fame, all of the power, they still have these issues and I'm just a quote unquote regular person, then it should make sense that I might have some issues too. And one of the things that I think is so incredible about just the state of mental health and wellness, and the more that we know and the more it continues to evolve, the more we're able to actually treat and resolve these issues. You know, back in the day when it was Charlemagne's dad's season to be in his prime, at that point, they were just medicating people and passing off checks, right? Here's a disability check. You're not going to get well. You won't be stable enough to have a job and you need to be taken care of. So here's this check and here's these medications to hopefully pacify those symptoms. But we've come so far in our advancements around mental health, counseling, talk therapy. These have been extremely effective, especially in combination with medication, to not just treat depression and anxiety, Shanti, but to resolve it. And so I'm constantly walking around screaming from the tops of my lungs to help people recognize you don't have to live with depression and anxiety anymore. You can treat it. You can actually get to the root of the things that are causing and contributing to the depression, that are causing and contributing to the anxiety, and get relief. And so for individuals who say, well, I don't want medication. I don't want something that's going to change me or change my personality, which, by the way, it really doesn't. But that is the fear that it's going to somehow actually make you crazy. But if you recognize that there are some things that you can address to take the weight off of the burdens of what you're living with, because you can hide that and mask that from the world, but you can't hide that from yourself. You cannot hide your fear from yourself. You cannot hide your trauma from yourself. And so it's important to get with people like us who know how to help you go into recovery and stay in remission for as long as possible. That is the goal. Treatment to resolve the issue is the goal now. Amen. And treatment is available. People like Dr. Yes. Spirit, yes, y'all. Don't be afraid. Don't be <laughs> we afraid. do. We do. I'm telling you, Brother Charlemagne, you're doing some incredible work. You were quoted 
I'm talking about mental health in the black community saying it's just something I decided to make my life's work, right? Mm. And you want to provide three therapy sessions for more than 10 million black Americans over the next five years. And I think that's an amazing goal. Talk to me about your Mental Wealth Alliance Network, which my foundation, Silence of Shame, is a part of. I know Spirit worked with um, the Alliance as well. And just share a little bit about what you all have been doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember being on a panel because, you know, people started calling me to be on these different panels when I started telling my my story. And I remember being on a panel with Tracy um, Jade and, you know, Taraji P. Henson. You know, they got a great foundation called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. And I remember they introduced me as a mental health advocate. And I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm not a mental health advocate. And I remember Tracy and Taraji looking at me like, uh, brother, yes, you are, whether yes, you, you want to be or not. And, <laughs> and, anyway, and when so many people started coming to me, telling me like, oh, my brother started going to therapy because of you, or my husband started going to therapy because of you, or my dad, like, I, it just made me realize like, man, this is, um, you know, this is much bigger than me. And then it was just, it was two situations in particular that really made me decide to want to really start making this my life's work. I had a, a great friend of mine commit suicide during COVID, you know, um, rest in peace, Jazz. And, you know, watching, Sadly, I didn't want to watch it, but watching the video of uh, Nipsey Hussle, you know, when he when he was tragically taken from us, and it, and it, it it was, I had never felt, uh, I had never felt empathy for somebody who did such a heinous act before. Like I watch, I remember watching that video by accident because somebody sent it to me and I didn't know what it was, and I just pressed play, and you know, I'm I'm once it's on, I'm captivated. Sadly. And I remember watching, you know, him shoot Nipsey, but then I remember him kicking Nipsey. And I remember it was that kick, man, that made me just say, yo, that brother is in pain. Like, that brother is hurting. Like, I don't know why he decided to project all that pain and hurt on the Nipsey in that moment, but it was just after he shot him and kicked him. And I, it just made me say to myself, and, and it was also a conversation I had with Nipsey's brother later on, Salute to Black Sam. And just listening to his grief and his pain, and it just made me say, man, like, we really got to, you know, do something to really help, you know, our brothers, you know, out here. Because it's so many of us that have so many of those same stories who have witnessed things like that, who have lost people in that way, and we don't do anything about it. Like, you know, our whole lives, we're told you can't cry, you got to man up, you just got to keep it pushing, you got to keep it moving. Man, I'm watching brothers nowadays, I don't know if it's because we're getting older, they're just, they can't. They're not physically, mentally, emotionally able to just keep it moving. Like, I've, 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 I can tell you so many different people who've just, I've watched broke break down in the last couple of years. And, you know, sadly, because of social media, a lot of us have seen it. Because, you know, people run to, you know, social media to be an outlet when they should be running to a therapist, you know, when they should be running to a counselor, when they should be running to a psychiatrist. Like there's, there's actual tools and resources to deal with this trauma that, that 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 so many of us haven't dealt with. So for me, it was just like, you know, I want to I wanted to be an official advocate. And when we started the Mental Wealth Alliance, like that was my sole goal. You know, that was salute to Dr. Alfie Breland Noble. I wanted to get, you know, uh, 10 million black people therapy, free therapy over the next five years. I want to increase the number of, you know, uh, culturally competent mental health professionals, you know, through providing them money for scholarships because the number does not reflect the, the, the amount of black people, you know, in America. I think we make up 13% of the population. I think 
that the number of you know black mental health professionals is like three percent or four percent or something like that. So I want to you know help increase that number. So I realized too that you know it's it's easier for me to raise money and give it to people who are doing the work like a silence to shame or a black men heal, you know. So that's just what I've been what what, what we've been doing. We thank you, brother. And it's been an honor for me to be a part of it the, the past two years. Just keep on doing what you're doing. You are certainly making a difference. And we just got a couple quick questions. And I know you all time is valuable and you got a lot going on. Spirit, I want to ask you, what, what do we need to be doing to protect our energy and our peace every day, especially those who work in hip hop and in our community? You know, everything that we've talked about. But nowadays, it's just so much going on in the world from natural disasters to gun violence to police brutality to, you know, just random stuff. And I feel like um, our peace is being compromised. The idea of peace being compromised, we got to realize that so many of us don't have peace and can't even remember a time that we have had peace. Because especially as members of the global majority, we're coming out of societies where we have lived in poverty. We've seen extensive violence. We've had trauma histories. We've had learning disabilities. We've had every kind of situation that we have had to survive that has already disrupted our peace. And so as Charlemagne talks about people breaking down, people are full. They have no more space. They have no more capacity. So what we have to do on a daily basis is we have to find time to de-stress. And I want people to be reminded that the body processes everything as stress. Good stress, which is you stress. Bad stress, which is that chronic acute stress that we know. Uh, and then the neutral stress of just what it takes for our bodies to take care of us. But the body processes everything as stress. And so if you don't have time every day to decompress, to take some of that away that just says, I need to be still, I need to be at rest. And most of us are so afraid to rest, one, because we don't believe that it's possible for us to be able to, two, because we don't believe that we're deserving, and three, we don't know what it means to be at rest, and then we feel like we're lazy or that somehow we're going to fall behind and be at risk to go back to the lives that we've all tried to escape from. So we have to see the value of rest as a benefit. That is where our bodies rejuvenate. That's where it restores itself. And so we have to look at therapeutic activities. Even if it's just getting away for five minutes to decompress and to just check out. But more importantly, we have to recognize that if we are in trouble, then we have to do something about that because we are surviving today while trying to survive yesterday while gearing up to have to survive tomorrow. And if we don't recognize that that requires action, that requires care, that requires safe space to do all of that work, we will continue to break. And I tell folks, when they say black don't crack, I say, yes, it does, but from the inside out. So we need to mm. be mindful and we need to take care of ourselves. Mm. Ooh, you said a word, black don't crack, mm. but it does from the inside out. From the inside out, absolutely. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. So having said that, Charlemagne, you know, what is your call to action for the hip hop community? What do we need to be doing in our BIPOC communities around mental health anxiety? and wellness so we can be around for the next 50 years in hip-hop right yeah i look forward to the next 50 years of hip-hop um i you know i don't i don't know if i'm gonna be around to see all of them i'll be 95 by the <laughs> 50 years but you know i look forward to the next 50 years only because i see a lot of brothers and sisters fighting for the peace that we deserve you know uh when i think of like an album 
like Jay-Z's 444, or I think of like Kendrick Lamar's, you know, Mr. Morales, Mr. Morales, Mr. Morales and the Big Steppers. You know, it just makes me very, very, very hopeful for the future because, you know, these brothers are tackling topics on those albums that you never would hear before. Like, you know, you hear Jay-Z, you know, uh, you know, talking about his his daddy issues. You hear Kendrick talking about his daddy issues. You hear both of them talking about going to therapy. You hear both of them talking about wanting to be better husbands. You know, you hear both of them, you know, apologizing, you know, to their significant others. You hear Jay-Z literally killing his ego, wanting to kill the character of Jay-Z. He literally has a song called, you know, Kill Jay-Z. He's on there saying how, you know, he has to, you know, get softer because now he's got a daughter. Like, it's just, when you hear that, you know, when you hear that rhetoric over and over, man, the same way that hip hop, you know, definitely, you know, contributed to a lot of, to the celebration of a lot of things we should have been celebrating, whether it was the gang culture, whether it was drug culture, whether it was, you know, misogyny, disrespect to women. Like, you know, we saw that for the first 50 years of hip hop. So when you got elder statesmen now like the Jay-Z who can, who now know better and they're doing better. So they're, they're teaching better and delivering better in their music are, you know, you hear a young man like Kendrick, like even having the awareness and the wherewithal at that age and that level of success to speak the way he's speaking. Or even guys like Westside Boogie or, you know, even, you know, uh, people like Rhapsody and like they're all talking about mental health and mindfulness and they're sharing their experiences and being vulnerable. And that just makes me feel good about, you know, where the culture is ultimately going, you know? So, I mean, if this is what if that's what the next 50 years of hip hop is going to look like, I'm I'm all for it. Yes, I love that. And shout out to Jay-Z and the Kendricks and Rhapsies, everybody that's out there pushing the culture forward from a wellness perspective. We salute you from the Mebo show. And before we go, I have to ask you both, you know, we are celebrating hip hop 50. Um, even though the birthday has passed, we're still in that year of celebration. Charlemagne, when did you fall in love with hip hop? 1988. Uh, I was around nine, ten years old. Uh, my cousin Tyrone, he, we were, we were uh, in in a place called Kitfield. That's where a lot of my family lives at in Mount's Corner, and uh, we were in his. We all, we all grew up in single wide trailers, and so I was in his room. Um, he had the fan in the window. He had his boombox, and he was listening to Eric B and Rock campaign in full. And I'm just like, I'm like, what is that? Like, 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 like that was my mom. Like, what is that? Like that baseline, even now is just so soulful and it's interested. Every time I hear that song, I go back to that moment of being 10 years old in Kidfield, South Carolina. I, I remember exactly how I felt in that moment. Every single time I hear that song right now. So that's, that was my, oh, I love this. I need to know what's going on. And another, one more pivotal moment. That was my introduction to the music. I remember going to Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life show in uh i think it was 1999 maybe early 2000 and they came to the north charleston coliseum in charleston south carolina we never used to get shows like that and it was mm-hmm. jay-z dmx method man and red man and i remember jay-z being on stage and he was rapping one in a million and he said why are you looking at my role ice and he, he stuck his arm out and i guess they had like a light effect that would hit his watch and make it like his it would just illuminate over the whole stadium and i remember saying to myself like I don't know what it is he's doing, but I want to do that. In order for me to do that, I need to be in this industry. I need to be, you know, part of this culture in a real way. And so I think that's what made me want to get into the business of of, of hip hop. I love that. That's great. And you you are certainly doing your thing, brother. 
Spirit, when did you fall in love with hip hop, my sister? Oh man, I think it was when I first heard that down, 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 down. Benita Applebaum, that was it, right? Like for me, that was riding up the coastline of PCH Highway, that was it, it was done. But I'll tell you what made me a forever fan. 1997, I was in Tokyo, Japan. Method Man, Red Man, Eric B and Rakim, they were out there doing their thing. And when I saw the way that they rocked that crowd and had folks out there with uh, Japanese folks with texturizers in their hair and they were out there breakdancing and doing all kind of stuff. And I had to sit back and take a breath and go, wow, here is a movement that has united and put us on a map globally. And I learned in that moment, I had to go all the way around the world to recognize that everybody wanted to be just like us. And hip hop was creating that. It was like, sign me up. Because if that can humanize us and move mountains and tell our story over and over in a way that brings us all together, I am here. Forget another 50 years. Give me 500. That's right. Mm -hmm. Hip hop is global. And it's it's such a blessing to see how universal this genre is now and and what it means um, just to the world, right? Not just to folks Uh in the hip hop community. So... I want to salute you all again. Thank you so much, Charlemagne the God. Thank you, Spirit, for pouring into this episode on mental health and anxiety. Um, again, I do this work because I want to see people live and hashtag live their best lives. It, it, it is all about the mind and the body and certainly the work that I'm doing with Silence to Shame, but, but now with Mebo, just trying to take a holistic approach at everything, looking at every aspect of our health. And, and I want to see our brothers and sisters in the culture move forward. And I want to see us have that peace and I don't want to see us breaking down on social media so you all and your time is just so valued and we love and appreciate you at the Mebo show again shout out to our partners J&J for all the resources that they're putting out into the community and I just want to remind y'all to you know make sure look I'm not a doctor make sure you go talk to your doctor see your therapist see your PCP but take time to pour back into yourselves because if you don't people will continue to to pull and stretch and 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 it'll it'll get to you eventually. So you got to take care of your mind everybody, and try to do your best. So we appreciate y'all. Thank you. Thank you, Shanti. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Thank Dr. You. Spirit. Shout out to you, Shanti. Charlemagne, love you always, brother.